The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, so we're going to continue through the gospel of Luke uh, titled A Feast for Failures, right? This morning, surprise, we're going to pick it up right where we left off last week. Uh, And that's me being a little bit silly, right? That's exactly what we do every week, although next week we won't. We're going to be in John, so that will be a little tricky for you. Um, but, But I want you to know that we're in the same story, right? So if you were here last week, then what you... There's a lot of things you might remember, but the one thing that really stood out was that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had had said that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Satan, which is just, you want to talk about blindness. You want to talk about blindness. That's that's as blind as it gets, right? Uh, But there was another people in that crowd, and they were asking for a sign. Let's, let's make sure we stay in the context of where we're at. So let's look at Luke 11, 14, and 16 once again, because this is the same story. I tried to preach it all in one te- sermon last week, but that was futile. We didn't get there, so we, we made it two sermons. He says, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. That's the, the text we cared for last week. And then it says, but while others, right? So here's where Jesus is going to be addressing now. To test him, right? They're seeking to test Jesus. Kept seeking from him a sign or a, a miracle from heaven, right? Do some dog and pony tricks for us, Jesus. As if he hasn't done some serious miracles up to this point, right? But... So some opposed Jesus, right, right to his face. They, they, they accredited all of his work that he was doing to Satan. And now there's some seemingly more, I would say, open-minded. We might read that and say, oh, they just, look at them. They're, they're so open-minded. They just want a sign. They just need a little more information. They're saying, Jesus, just, just give us a sign. Seems like a, well, you know, an honest request. But, but it's really not. Apparently casting a demon out of a man and the man who is mute now speaking is not a sign. I mean, because it's in the middle of him doing a sign. It's, it's, it's really crazy. So we're going to pick it back up and we're going to be in verse 29, right? And he's going to answer, let's call them the skeptics who keep seeking a sign. He said, when the crowds were increasing, right? So News of this is going around. Jesus at this point is, man, he is, everybody's going to see him. The haters, the lovers, and those who are somewhere in between. Those who want to follow them, you know, follow Jesus, and those who want to throw stones at him. And those who are trying to figure this out, they keep gathering. Wherever he goes, that's where they want to be. Because you never know when he's going to do something. Like, you know, feed 5,000 people, and everybody loves a free lunch, right? Uh, You never know when he, he might... Do another miracle. And oh, happens to be there's someone dead. And he says, you're not allowed to be dead anymore. Get up. And they get up. Like you want to be there, right? The pickle fest happened yesterday in Pittsburgh. I didn't even know about this until I've started to hear people talk about it. And apparently it was, it was stacked and it was packed, right? Kevin and his family were down there. I talked to a couple other people who were down there. They said they had a great time. But it's pickles, it's a, it was a cucumber, it was thrown in something else, now it's a pickle, and everyone's there. And so if people will flock to a pickle, imagine, 
how many people might flock to Jesus? The crowds are increasing. And he began to say, <laughs> I love it, this generation is an evil generation. That's a, that's a, that's a buzzkill, Jesus. That's a buzzkill. <laughs> like, you can tell he's not trying to do the big mega church thing. He just says, y'all are evil. He says, it seeks a sign, a miracle, but, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. By the way, when he says this generation is an evil generation, he's literally talking to the Jewish people who are rejecting him right then and there. But I also want you to know, just in case you might be confused, every generation ever since the fall of humanity has been evil. But this is a particular kind of evil Jesus is talking to. He says, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. If you've got a big understanding of the Old Testament, this may make sense to you. If you don't, you're like, what does that mean, right? But I'm going to tell you right now, the Jews that he's speaking to that are seeking a sign in that moment know exactly what he's saying. They know exactly what he's saying, and it's not good. I mean, there are, there's some perplexing language here, so we're going to take some time to try to understand it. But what I want you to know, what's clear as day here is what may appear as a neutral position or a, a seeker position that's open-minded but not really trusting Jesus, wanting a sign is actually evidence that they're wicked. We're not as kind to that thought. Um, I mean, think about it. Whoa. Like, Jesus, this is an evil generation, he says. That's his start off. Imagine, just get up... Let's say next weekend at Mammoth Park, the outdoor service, and I get up and I just want you to say, I'm, first off, I'm not Jesus, so I don't get to say this. Y'all are an evil generation. Open your Bibles. Get ready for the pulled pork. Right? Like, everybody's going to be like, this is a little different. I mean, they've witnessed him, though. Think about where we're at in chapter 11 of Luke. They've witnessed Jesus cast out demons. They've witnessed him heal a paralyzed man. They've witnessed him cleansing a leper. The man's skin is falling off, and he cleanses him. He's made whole. All of a sudden, everything which was rotten and broken and falling is now healed right before their eyes, and they've seen this. He's raised a widow's dead son. He's, he's raised uh, Jairus' daughter. I mean, over and over and over, he's doing amazing signs, amazing miracles. He, he healed the woman of chronic bleeding. He, he, he cast a legion of demons out of a man. They went into some pigs and off the cliff. What more must he do is essentially what he's saying. I've given you signs. He fed 5,000 and on and on and on. How many, he's essentially saying, how many signs do you need before you get off the fence? And follow me. He's, it seems as though he's done doing dog and pony tricks for the Pharisees and the scribes. His, his attitude's changed a little bit here. And you ought not think he's being unloving. As a matter of fact, this is love. This is love. 
We, we need to have a category of rebuke and judgment, not judgment like you're going to hell judgment, in our thought of love. Yeah, we ought to be curious. Yeah, we ought to try to answer all the questions. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, it's not that you don't have enough of an understanding to make a decision. You don't want what I'm offering, which is myself. So he says, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Remember Jonah, right? Uh, the, and the big fish. Everybody says it's a whale. Maybe, maybe. Maybe it's that big shark they make movies about. Megalodon or whatever, right? Although Jonah probably would have been food, so probably not. Jonah received a divine call to go to Nineveh and preach against the wickedness that was happening within that pagan people. And, and he, he did just the opposite of gladly obeying. He ran from God. And by the way, in case you think you're different, we've all run from him. But he hops onto a ship. It's heading in a different direction because he's not trying to go to this place. And, and he wants to go to the end of the other known world. He just wants to go as far away from what God's called him to do. But if you're familiar with the story, the seas get really rough. Everybody starts saying, what's going on? Somebody's made some God mad. Jonah's camped out down at the bottom of the boat. They wake him up. You've done this. And he's like, yeah, I, I probably have. They toss him over the sea. This is my version. You can read the story later. He gets swallowed up by a big fish. The big fish spits him up after three days onto the sandy shores of Nineveh. He's probably smelly. He's a little sandy. He's probably a little slimy. And now he begins the work of preaching judgment. Okay, so they all know this story. Jonah preached the message of judgment and repentance to a pagan people, a Gentile people, and guess what? They repented. And all they needed was the word of a prophet, a prophet much less great than the prophet that's standing in front of his people. He is the last prophet. He is the greatest prophet. Jonah was a prophet. And this wicked Gentile people believe just from the word. Here I am. I'm preaching. Don't ever forget Jesus is a preacher, first and foremost, in his earthly ministry. He does signs, but he's attesting to the word. He is the word. He is the living God. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And he's standing there. He is pr his truth personified, and they're denying him. And he's saying, you, you think this is going to end well in judgment? It's not going to end well. Nineveh will rise up and they'll judge you. You don't like Gentiles? Well, they're going to be in your face smiling because they've received grace. And you're not. And it's not because you can't see. You're groping in the light. It's plain as day. And you don't want it. I mean, the sign of Jonah, what, what's he referring to? Well, it could be the divine rescue, right? The, the fish swallowing them up, three days in the belly. Matthew absolutely says that's what it is. He says, there will be one last sign, my death, my burial, my resurrection, just like Jonah. Only I'm not going into a fish, I'm going into a tomb, and I will resurrect, and that will be your last sign, right? So he, he's saying... But I think it's, it is that, but I think it's definitely more than that. I think it's the preaching of repentance. He's saying right now you have enough information. It, not then. It's, it, you don't have to wait till I die. I'm headed there. But he's saying, my word should be sufficient for you. I'm preaching truth to you, and you're denying truth. And it's not because they can't see truth. 
I think so many times that's what we think. We just have to sprinkle it over and make it a little more appealing. It's true. And instinctively, humans know truth and we suppress truth. It's not because we can't see what's true. We know. I mean, even as a lost boy at 23 years old, when the Lord saved me, I wasn't a boy at 23 as a man, but as a lost boy growing up, I never, I mean, I'm just telling you, I never thought in my wildest dreams there wasn't a God. I always knew there was a God. I just didn't know him or her or it or whatever. But I just knew like there was never a time there wasn't a God or none of this could happen. You can't explain it any other way. Well, there was a time there was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was just all sorts of stuff. If there was ever a time there was nothing, there would still be nothing. Well, there were some things, and it kind of clanged around, and voila. Okay, try that at home. I want you to grab all the bricks you can find and all the wood you can find, some sand and some mortar, and just put it in a bag and shake it around till you get a house. I mean, order never comes out of chaos. Unless there's a designer who builds the home. So I always knew there was a God, but I didn't know him until he revealed himself to me. The world knows there's a God, and and the world suppresses truth because they don't want to see. The other famous example that's given here, notice, is the Queen of the South, as it's said here, which is, by the way, the Queen of Sheba. She, she willingly made a very long and dangerous journey, which would be now modern-day Yemen, to, to come and to hear Solomon talk about the beauty of his God, to see the temple, to see the pools of Solomon. And no doubt she probably liked the party. And if you were here last summer and we went through the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, she probably had some vested interest. Like this dude knows how to get down. He slaughters cattle. He has like grapes, enough vats of wine to like get the whole world drunk. Let's rock and roll up there. But actually, when you read the account, it's because she wanted to hear God's wisdom come from God's man. And she made the journey to go and hear it. Now, we don't know what, what that did for her. I don't know. I doubt we'll see her in heaven, although I hope I'm wrong. Maybe we will. But what, what, is, what is clearly being said here is the wicked people of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching. Why could these teachers of the law not see that something greater. It says something, not someone. What's that? The kingdom of God, which is present. They're seeing it over and over. This is way more impressive, and you're denying it. And oh, and just in case you think something's not enough, I'm greater than Jonah, and you're denying it. So I'm showing you miracles. I'm preaching the truth, and you continue to deny. And if the pagan queen of the south traveled to learn of God's wisdom from Solomon, Guys, gals, he's saying, how much worse will it be for you if you fail to see that wisdom is standing right in front of you? Because I'm the one that Solomon was getting all his wisdom from, and you just don't see. And, and you start to think, why is that? There will be a judgment for these people. That it, for those who hear the message, they literally see God incarnate, and they're denying him. Okay, that's heavy stuff, and he is talking particularly to those folks, but I want you to know, man, we, there's something for us to learn here. It's not just for that generation. This is for this generation. See, Jesus refuses to offer other signs except his own personal message, right? 
The thing that Jesus is hammering over and over, and he will continue to do it through the Gospel of Luke if you pay attention, is this. His word is sufficient. The gospel, the good news, the proclamation of what Christ has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection is sufficient for salvation. You need nothing else. And if that was true then, it's certainly true today. We actually have more information than these guys had. <laughs> We're on the other side of the resurrection. They're trying to piecemeal this thing together, right? Have you ever had friends, and, and let's just assume the best, they honestly say, you know, I would totally believe. I would love to believe. I just need a sign. Heck, I've said this. I remember leading up to Jesus saving me, I was always like, give me a sign. I was like DMX, only with not a cool voice, right? I just need a sign. I just need something. If I'd only met Jesus, if I was only walking around with Jesus when Jesus was walking around healing folks, I would have definitely believed. I wish I lived during Bible times. If I lived during Bible times, I certainly would have been one of his disciples. Maybe, but maybe not. What's crazy is you can just see over and over salvation is such a gift. These guys know more about the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament was being lived out, than anybody else. And they're all longing for Messiah to come. They're all longing for the one who's promised. They're all longing for the king. They're all longing for the prophet. They're all longing for the perfect high priest. And there they are. They've been praying, they've been reading, and he's in front of them, and they ain't seeing. And we should never, you know... It's like crazy when you think about it, but then when I really think about it biblically, we would not see if Jesus didn't open our eyes. It's so easy just to kind of make the mistake of getting on our high horse and say, what a bunch of idiots. I can't believe they don't believe there's a God. I can't believe they don't believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. I was that dead idiot in my sins until Jesus opened my eyes, and I won't call you idiots, but if the shoe fits, <laughs> you, you, you would have never believed you never would have believed. Salvation's a gift. It's not, it's not a work of the, the intellect. Some of the most brilliant minds in the world don't believe that there's a God. Don't believe that Jesus Christ was sent. It's not because they lack intellect. Sometimes their intellect, I think, drives them mad. So what's the point? There's one point. <laughs> Ready? Signs, miracles, exorcisms are great. But spiritually speaking, the most important thing is that we hear the gospel of Jesus and respond in repentance and faith. You see this over and over in Paul's writings, in Peter's writings, in the epistles. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel is good news right? It specifically is the good news of what Christ has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Here's why Paul's not ashamed of it. He says, for it is the power. What is it? It, the gospel, the proclamation of this news is the power of God to everyone who believes. Salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Essentially, he's saying, I came first and foremost for my Jewish people. They're rejecting me. Their rejection is going to lead to my death, but it's going to lead to the Gentile salvation. It's exactly what he's saying. 
And he, listen, over and over, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, he says, For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I have also received, that Christ, listen, died for our sins. Underline that if you've got a Bible and you're thinking. In accordance, notice with the Scriptures, he's meaning the Old Testament, that he was buried, that's important. He went into the tomb, that he was raised, on the third day, and once again, in accordance with the Scriptures. Guys, he, he'll say over and over, you search the Scriptures because you think within them you have life, but life is standing right in front of you and you can't see. What needs to happen? A miracle. And oh, by the way, the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans and who wrote 1 Corinthians, he was a Pharisee who was as blind I mean, there's, there's not differing degrees of blind. He was blind, dead in his sins. He was having Christians murdered and executed. And he then could see. Why? Because he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus as he was going to get authorization to kill more of them. And he said, Jesus said, you're going to be an instrument to bring light to the Gentiles. <laughs> oh, those people you hate? Yeah, you're going to give your life to save them. I mean, this is a stunning sign that Jesus gives to all is the miracle of his substitutionary atoning death, his sacrificial death, his burial, the resurrection. You want a sign? You know, remember the old redneck? Here's your sign. What more do you need? He tells the people in Corinth, there's still 500 people that witnessed this. You can go talk to them. That's exactly what he's saying when he says that, by the way. I mean, go over to Jeanette. I, that's where I was at. We were at a barbecue. We had some music bumping. They all hung out with me. They seen my scars. They saw, I told them all about it. You don't believe me? Go talk to them. And they're like, yeah, but people from Jeanette, you know, they're a little sketch. Okay, but the mayor was there. Someone important, right? By the way, I love, <laughs> I love watching people react. I love people from Jeanette, and I don't think anyone here is an idiot, right? Um, it's just so fun to think about that Jesus is saying, listen, you get no more sign. What more must I do? I left heaven. I put on flesh. I was born a baby by a virgin. I lived the perfect life. I died the death willingly. And because I had no sin, the grave couldn't hold me, and I triumphantly resurrected. What more could I do is essentially what he's saying. The question, though, is not for the Jews at that time now because they're dead and gone. The question is for you. Do you believe the good news of Jesus Christ? I mean, at the end of the day, faith is a gift. And it's also a choice. And, and that's hard to think through at times, right? Yeah, you would never see if he didn't open your eyes, but when he opens your eyes, you still have to receive, right? Imagine you're... You're, I like Spongebob. So let's just imagine for a minute you're at the bottom of the ocean in bikini, uh, sandy beach, bikini bottom, right? And you're dead. And you were hanging out at the Krusty Krab and you got a bad burger, okay? And now you're just dead and you're never going to swim back to the top and love Jesus. 
So Jesus dives in, he comes down, and he grabs your dead carcass off the bottom of that you know, sandy little area, brings you up onto the beach, he breathes life into you, resurrects you, and you're now spitting seawater out, and you're alive. This is the weirdest illustration I've ever given, maybe. And you see Jesus, and he made you alive. Faith is then hugging him and saying thank you. You couldn't hug him if you were still dead, so he had to make you alive. But faith is definitely a gift, but it's a choice. You, you receive him. You love him. Why? Because I was dead. And now I'm alive. And the only reason I'm alive is because of you. It's nothing I've done. It's a gift. Right? That might be silly, but really, if, if you could think about it, that is what salvation looks like in so many ways. At the end of the day, faith is definitely a gift, and it is a choice. It's not a convincing of the intellect. So many times we spin our wheels trying to tell people about quantum physics, and you don't even know how to spell it. Don't get tangled up in the weeds. At the end of the day, what that person needs is the gospel. You're no one here. I mean, well, actually, one person might be an expert in quantum physics, um, which that's cool. And you should learn, and you should think. But at the end of the day, we, we just, what, what, what more do you need? You need the gospel. I need the gospel. I've met so many people who said they wish they believed. And I, I want to believe that. However, when, I, when I've asked if they've ever read the Bible, or if they would ever be in, interested in doing so, more often than not, the answer that I get is that they have no interest in doing that, and they're not willing. And then I just got to ask or think to myself, like, how interested are you really? Right? Like, I'm really interested in bacon. And a friend says, I have bacon. And I'm cooking it today. And I'll pick you up and bring you over. If I want bacon, I'm like, I'll see you at six. Because I know where bacon's at. Right? Let's be honest. And, and let's help our friends be honest. You have no desire to believe. Help them be honest. I'm okay with that. Because now I'm just going to pray that Jesus gives you a desire because that's how this thing works anyway. I can't make myself want something I don't want. That's a miracle. We try to shove people into the kingdom with our great intellect. And, and I'm saying you should reason and you should think and you should, but we need to pray. Jesus do the miracle in this person's heart. I can't do. I can't do it. It, most often, you've probably talked the gospel till they're blue in the face. It's not an information problem. It's a belief problem. They need a miracle. And so let's pray for that. See, God's not, he's not playing hide and go seek. He, he loves to reveal himself to people. He loves to do it. He desires to reveal Jesus, the Savior of the world, to people. He, he didn't send his son to die to just keep them hidden. He didn't do that, right? Don't lessen the weight of what Jesus is saying here. It is hard. It's a hard word to an unbelieving crowd. They don't want to see. And I didn't either. And if you could be honest, you didn't either. Here's the terrifying thing to consider. Our advantage is far greater now. Because we have the explicit writing of the word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
We have the gift of the Spirit revealing truth, showing Jesus to be everything we've always hoped and believed he would be. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have 2,000 years of church history. We have everything we need to believe. And when I say we, I mean this. Let's just stick with Greensburg, the city of Greensburg. The city of Greensburg is a reached city. Now, it doesn't mean everyone's believing. I'm saying it's reached because right now they have access to the gospel in this location, if no other place. Because what you're hearing is good news. And you're like, well, it's a little rough. It'll get better. Hang in there. But you've got to understand what Jesus is getting at here. God wants people to believe in Jesus and to follow him faithfully and enjoy him forever. So, of course, he reveals. They're groping in, in the daylight with their eyes wide shut. They don't want to see. And that's what's terrifying. Luke continues. Look at 33 through 36. He says, no one after lighting a lamp, puts it under, or I'm sorry, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. <laughs> what he's saying is, I'm not hiding. It's right here in front of you. Your eye, he's, he's talking about your spiritual eyes of your heart, okay? Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of darkness, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now that is, that's tricky. Um, but here's what I want you to know. It's a stinging rebuke to those who are not following Christ. Their problem is not a lack of information. Jesus has not hidden himself under a basket or in a cellar. He's saying, I am light, and you want nothing to do with me. Their, their problem is, is not a lack of even illumination. He's, he's shining bright in front of them right now. The truth of Jesus is being preached. The, the teaching is self-evident. It's not hidden. So what's the problem? The problem is with their eyesight, spiritually speaking. They don't want to see. Where do I get that from? Well, we're going to go to another gospel writer, John, and we're going to look in chapter 1. You can just... You can turn there, or you can listen to me as I read. John 1, 9 through 11, he says, The true light, speaking of himself, right? John's talking about Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is talking about Christmas, right? He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. He's talking about the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. In John 3, and it's actually a continuation of this whole thought, it gets to verse 19 and 21. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people, listen, loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Gentiles are, are seeing Jesus and they're saying, 
this is the Savior of the world. We're going to meet a woman that no one wants in John 4 next week. And, and she sees. <laughs> she, I see. I want, the, I want you, Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, well, I want you. That's why I came, right? The ragtag bunch of failures all throughout Luke are like, we see. We see. Well, aren't they evil? They are. Here's what's the, the amazing difference. They know they need a Savior. The Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes who are not receiving Jesus, what they're, they're not willing to say, I'm in darkness. They're not willing to, to say, I need a Savior. They would be fine with saying, Jesus and my law-abiding, my non-pig eating, and making sure my kids are circumcised on the eighth day and doing all these things and not wearing any fabric with mixed tweed and not getting tats. I'm good with that, but... I'm a sinner in need of you. Ooh, they would not do that. Why? Because they were too proud. And I got to tell you, pride is the thing that blinds us most from ever seeing God. (laughs) It's not your depraved. I mean, sin, don't sin. Because sin takes you where you don't want to go. At first, it's a great time. And you might be like, don't say that. It's, you wouldn't do it if it wasn't. Let's just be honest, okay? But it takes you where you're not trying to go. And we look at other people's sin and we say, that's awful. And, and yet we let pride just fester in our heart. And I got to tell you, watching a rated R film on Netflix is probably not great depending on what it is. Although I watch them, right? Because um, some of them are just scary and this and that. I'm just out and in my head now. But the, the biggest scary thing is when the person says, no one else should be watching that movie. You guys are a bunch of scum. I can't believe it. Because what you don't realize is sin of pride's creeping in your heart and it's crowding out light. And you, are, you think you're aligned with thinking of God, but you're not actually seeing your brother or your sister in need of grace. You think you're the police. Oh, pride is dangerous because it feels so good feels so good see the problem with this generation meaning them and us they see jesus's work but they credit to the devil they hear jesus's word they refuse to receive it they want some more dog and pony tricks they don't want to believe why because they love the darkness the darkness of their own pride to be very specific they're not victims of darkness they are lovers of it Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that, right? A Gentile queen is craving the wisdom that comes from God. A pagan city hears the message of judgment and repents. But Israel's leaders see Jesus in the flesh and they want nothing to do with him. They want nothing to do with him. He's saying something is greater than than Jonah. Something is greater than Solomon's wisdom, a.k.a. me. And you reject me. You want nothing to do with me. Do you see that when you reject the message of God's grace through the proclamation of the gospel, you're not just rejecting some cold facts. You're rejecting Jesus Christ who is full of grace and truth. You're, You're not just rejecting a message. When you reject the message, you reject the messenger. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. He's not a means to good news. He himself is good news. Jesus brings the better wine. 
Jesus, full of grace, truth, mercy, he's desiring for these people to see because he loves them. Don't ever think that Jesus isn't loving the Pharisees in this moment. He loves them. He's longing for them to turn. You're going to see it all throughout the Gospel of Luke the rest of the way because he's going to keep kicking at darkness until it bleeds light. It's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to tell the story of the prodigal son. He's going to say, Gentiles, eating pig slop, coming home. Older brother, trying to earn love, you got love. Come to the party. But you're going to stay out in the field. Why? Because you think if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Religion is so exhausting. Grace is so, so sweet and so beautiful. What do I have to do? Receive. Just receive. Believe. It's a big old gift. I've done it all. That's what he's saying. Trust me. And they're like, no. Why? For the remaining time, I want to I be able to try to press home the why. So in Romans 1, 18 through 25, I'm going to read a chunk of scripture. You can hang in there, but then focus on it throughout the week, okay? Really think about it through the week. So we're going to be in Romans 1, 18 through 32. I'm going to stop at 25 and give a little thought and then keep going. Ready? Romans 1, 18, starting there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Listen, men and women, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Meaning truth is evident. It keeps coming up and we keep pushing it down. Today, I'm going to hang out with some of our family members at a pool, and, and these kids are going to like climb on me and claw me, and I'm going to be exhausted, but it's going to be a great day, and we're going to push beach balls under the water, and they're going to pop up and splash them. They're going to laugh, but think about pressing a beach ball under the water. That's what it's like when you try to suppress truth. It just keeps popping up, splashing in your face. You can see it. You don't want to. You push it back down. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. For what can be known about God, listen, is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So what, God, what Paul is saying is that God in and through creation reveals that there is a God. There is no such thing, listen, as an atheist. Not, a, not an honest one. That's what this is saying. They're just suppressing the truth. They know. At the end of the day, they know. They may not know who, but they know. And then he says, why? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen, claiming to be wise, they became fools. In exchange, the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's talking about worshiping creature, not creator. That's what he's talking about. He says, therefore, God gave them up to the lust of the, their hearts, to impurity and dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, man's sight problem is ultimately a worship problem. It's ultimately a worship problem right? We must, we must worship something or someone. There's never a time you're not worshiping. I promise you that. 
Your, your heart was created for worship. It, it does it instinctively, naturally, right? We will worship either Christ or we will worship something in his creation. And if we see the things of this world more precious and beautiful than the things of Jesus, then listen, we will continually give ourselves into darkness. That's exactly what's being said here. Worshiping creation and not creator is chaos, and it never brings healing. But the Bible speaks of vivid language over and over, just like a dog who goes to its vomit because he's hoping that this time it won't make him sick, is a sinner who continues to return to things that make him broke. Right? Or he talks about broken cisterns that can't hold water, and we drink them. For a while, there's a little bit of water in there, but now you're just licking mud. And now you've got to go to another broken cistern. And Jesus is saying all throughout the Bible, I'm living water. I bring refreshment. I bring healing. I'm inexhaustible. Come, and he would say in John 7, drink from me. It's eternal. And, and we don't. And when we don't, listen, we all know there's a creator in whom we are dependent and in whom we are accountable. And when we don't, we think, nothing's happening to me. It's not a big deal. My life's going good. I talk to friends all the time. All my bills are paid for. All my kids are healthy. And they think that's a sign that there's no wrath. But actually what Paul's going to talk about in this continual teaching of, of total depravity is that actually might not be the case. Look with me, Romans 1, picking it back up in 26. For this reason, God gave them up. That's the scariest words you could probably ever read in the Bible. To dishonorable passions, which is worship, but it's not legit or good worship. For they exchange natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. By the way, just a side note, homosexuality is a sin. It is a sin. It's not the worst sin. It's a sin sexual immorality of all nature outside of male female committed marriage is all sin just want to make sure we know that because it's real easy to jump on that bandwagon and start hitting them because they don't sin like you do continue on they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they are full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness their gossips Slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And you'd be like, man, these people are bad. These people are you. These people are me. Just in case you don't think I am not living in genetic like an idiot at times to go back. <laughs> anyway. Jeanette and Greensburg are the same anyway. Let's be real. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, listen, deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. 
His teaching's painful to read. It's what theologians would call the doctrine of total depravity. Meaning, while not everything we always do is completely sinful, right? Nothing we can do is ever untouched by sin. Does that make sense? So it's always tainted. Even my good deeds, a little bit muddled. I really just hope they like me, right? Like, ooh, I thought you were doing that from a good heart. Well, maybe if you're in Christ, but before that, there is no such thing as you having a good heart. We're sinners by nature and by choice, right? We're all infected and affected by sin. This shows up most in what we worship and what we desire. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. Humans will always worship what they think will satisfy them and ultimately make them happy. And we love to make gods in our own image, whether it be money, whether it be sex, the American dream, all these different things, status, power. We, we love to worship because we think they'll give us life. They think, what was the sin and the idolatry of Israel's leaders at that time? My guess is power. To be adored, to be wanted, and now everybody's following Jesus and he's getting in our way of power. And they didn't want to give that up, so they just clung to it. What is it you're unwilling to give up? If you're in Christ, you've given it up. But sometimes it comes knocking at the door, if we could be honest. Right? And sometimes we drift our way into worshiping that which never satisfied us in the first place. But thankfully, God in his kindness is so good to just keep bringing us back to what is true, which is namely himself. See, we only grasp the gospel when we understand this, as Paul did that you and I are the worst sinners we've ever met. Not that guy. Not that girl. Not those people out there. You. Me. Every one of us. You're the worst sinner you've ever met. Thankfully, Jesus loves to save sinners. (laughs) That's the point. Because there's no one else. There's just no one else. He delights to save sinners. He doesn't even do it begrudgingly. He like really enjoys saving sinners. But, but here's the key. You got to know you are. And the Pharisees wouldn't admit that. See, sometimes I think people are like, man, I'm really worried about them. They sin really terribly and this and that. And, they don't, and the person I might be talking to doesn't love God. And I'm like, there's probably more hope for that person who's going to lick bottom before they know it than you because you think you don't need a savior. That's the most darkest place in the world to be, is to think you're not all that bad. Can I just tell you something? We live in a culture of people just like that. We run around with the good news, and we should, but we we sometimes truncate it, and we start with, Jesus loves you, and they don't care. What they need to know is that they're broken and that they're lost, and that will anger them, because how dare you tell me I need? (laughs) I've met these people. I was these people. And now they say, you just lean on Jesus like a crutch because you need him. Yes, I do. But you actually have way higher value of me than I have of myself. I don't need a crutch. I need resurrected. I need Jesus to carry me most days. Give me a break. You make it sound like I have a limp. I mean, for Pete's sakes, I'm paralyzed. If he don't get me out of bed, I'm staying there. 
I mean, I'm just staying there. The gospel is not some self-help. It's not some a little addition to kind of make you get through the day, buddy. It's life. It's power. And if you've seen Jesus as beautiful, it's yours. It's yours. And you're in Christ and he's in you and there is nothing nor no one who can ever snatch you from his hand. So rest. Receive. Rejoice. Love your God. Love your neighbor. Love your church. Love your city and tell them of his love. What else would you rather do with your life? Don't run the religion to be happy, C.S. Lewis would say. He said a bottle of port will do that. And he's talking about happiness in a trite way. But I don't like his saying. Sorry, C.S. Run to Jesus to be happy. Because there's no real happiness outside of him. Period. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for sight. Thank you for coming to a very dark, evil, wicked generation and dying for us. Jesus, I'm so thankful you resurrected from the grave so that now we have eternal life with you. Father, I do ask, though, that if anyone here has been really just leaning on religion and never trusting in you, that today would be the day you would pull their blinders back and help them see you as stunningly beautiful and that they have no hope of ever enjoying everlasting life with you apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. Jesus, you are that Savior. Jesus, we thank you that you have come and you have done everything in your life, death, and resurrection to make sinners like us whole and to bring us home, and to bring us to real healing. And Lord, we long for the day when you return, and all that we believe by faith becomes absolute reality. But until that day happens, Lord, help us continue to love by telling the gospel, by loving people right where they're at, and praying that you remove them from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Help us to be a rejoicing people, no matter what circumstances we might be in, because we have the hope of glory, and that is Jesus Christ who is resurrected. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.